Hey, good morning. I run up here really quick, like uh, I'm gonna get us out of here really quick, right? You know, I don't know, man. It's a it's an optical illusion, brother. You know, I, I'm, I look fast, but I'm not fast, Kevin. Yes, it it's and it's full, so yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, we are in Exodus, as you can very well see. We're in chapter 23 as we continue our study in Exodus. Um, we have finished, for the most part, what we would call uh, the, the case laws of the Book of the Covenant. We kind of touched on that last week. And uh, so what we're, what we're doing is uh, this week we're going to touch on some festivals that God establishes for his people. If you guys are reading ahead, and you should know, you know what's next by just reading ahead, you understand the scripture we're going to discuss today. And it's about three festivals that God establishes. And basically, if you'll allow me to use this uh, analogy, these are basically holidays. Uh, one, uh, for the, in, in a sense, it's kind of like a, our 4th of July, our, our Independence Day. You know, we celebrate that every, you know, 4th of July when we uh, uh, celebrate the independence of our, our nation uh, from the, the strongholds of the motherland, if you will. And, uh, um, and, and this comes annually. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, if you've worked in a, in a secular venue, one of the uh, best days of my work calendar was uh, towards the end of the year, Jeff, when they would come out and they would give us the holiday schedule. You know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? They would come out and it would be pushing into the end of December and they'd say, hey, here's the holiday schedule for next year. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you knew you were going to be working 340 days next year, but those 10 or 11 holidays on that piece of paper, it somehow gave you some hope, right, that you're going to be able to make it through that next year, right? And... Uh, uh, the, the, the term holiday, the very word holiday is derived from holy day. And so what we're going to read about today are some holy days. And, uh, but it, there's a lot more to it than that. And we're going to work through a few pieces of scripture. And I think uh, there are some nuggets in there, Louise, for Trent and for Louise, if for no one else. This is going, there's something here to, to glean and, and, and to bring to yourself. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 through 19. And if you're a visitor this morning, it's the first time you've been here, hey, welcome to the Driven Church. And my prayer for you this morning is that you feel, that you feel at home, that you feel loved, that you feel welcomed. Um, I remember what it was like. Uh, as a non-believer or even a visitor coming into a church for the first time, man, I mean, it, there were times, brother, that it was scary. You know what I'm talking about? That, that feel you didn't know. I don't want that to be your experience when you come here. I want you to know that you're loved, God values you, and this is a place for you. This is a safe place for you. And what we want to do here at the church is share God's word, share God's love, and encourage you as we travel this journey together, this journey of faith. Amen? Amen. Okay, turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 19. Now, we're going to close on a statement in verse 19 
that man, uh, you, if, if you listen to nothing else today, just anticipate us covering that last verse because it kind of, you know, uh, you know it, 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 it's a little odd to say the least. And when we read it, you're going to say, hmm, interesting, Trent. Let's go. Uh, Exodus 23, verse 14, it says, Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. This is God. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in the month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty handed. No one. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering. See, that's the third one right there. The festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord your God. Last part. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Y'all got that, right? Trent, can you speak something of inspiration from not cooking a young goat in its mother's milk? Well, we're going to find out, aren't we, this morning? I'm telling you, listen, if you can, if you can deliver that scripture with an, with an impact, with, with, with inspiration, if you can deliver that, you know it's the spirit, right? Because that, that's not the scripture Franklin Graham is preaching at massa revivals throughout this globe, right? That's not it. But believe me, even in that, there is something to be shared. That's the astonishing thing, is that we're going to get to the young goat being cooked in the mother's milk, and there's something for us in that. That is the amazing thing about God, Jay, is that he can hide gold in that. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this scripture, right? So Father, in Jesus' name, We are gathered here in the sanctuary. Lord, what we want is your presence. Oh, fall on this place today, Lord. Speak through your word. May we have a hunger and a thirst for more of you. Lord, may, may there be something that just stirs in us, that turns us towards you when the rest of the world is trying to redirect us elsewhere trying to pull us elsewhere. May our focus be upon you. Lord, we just want to go through this scripture. We want to understand you. And in so doing, understand us and our need for you, a greater need for you. Father, as a vessel and nothing more, I'm no more than anyone else here. I'm no less than anyone else here. But Lord, as a vessel that's being used this morning by you, I pray to you, Father, that I would not get in the way, that I would not hinder what you're trying to do this morning in speaking to your sons and your daughters. I pray, Father, that the, the stuttering 
of my tongue, the stammering of my lips, the, the palpitations in my heart, all of my deficiencies, everything, Lord, that I wore against when I'm up here, fearful, Lord, that I'll spoil the delight of your word for your sons and your daughters, all those things. I pray, God, that you would overcome all that and that you would speak to the body of TDC this morning. And, Lord, that at the end of the day that we would have our minds and our hearts, Lord, sharpened and more in tune with who you are. And we ask and we pray this in the name of Jesus and the sons and daughters of God said amen. Amen. I know what some of you were thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, Lord, don't let him get in the way for too long. Too long. Let's look at this, right? Hey, pull up uh, verse 14. Verse 14. This is where it all begins, right here. It said, three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Three times a year. Now, there's something important, and we're going to have to jump back one verse because there's something important that kind of is lost in the, the transition. If we just picked up there and we didn't know where we left off from, what I'm about to say would not necessarily make as much sense. Because what I want you to understand this morning is that God has called us, you and I, to minimize uh, the negative spiritual issues that are surrounding us to minimize the effects, to minimize the reach that they have in our lives, to minimize those things, and to maximize his impact and his influence on our lives. We have to minimize one, if not completely obliterated, spiritually speaking, while we're maximizing the other. And I say that because when we go to the previous verse, the previous verse before this transition reads like this in Exodus 23, 13. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. That's maximizing. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Minimizing. And do not let them be heard on your lips. Minimizing. You see the emphasis on listening to me, minimizing the other influence, and then he gives a directive that three times a year you are to gather in my name and celebrate these festivals to who? To him. To him. So there's a minimization of all these negative things, and there's a maximizing of God and God's word and God's influence upon our lives. Now, the, the, the misnomer that you and I typically experience in our spiritual journey is that the answer rests solely in minimizing the negative. You know what I'm talking about? Abstinence from the negative. If I can get all of this junk out from around me, if I can remove all of that negativity from around me, then man, things will be good. It's kind of like the guy going to the hospital, per se, and, and the doctor says, you need to quit eating this and quit drinking this and quit eating this. And all of a sudden, we take the doctor's advice. We abstain from all those negative influences on us physically, but what the doctor fails to tell us is what we need to be putting in our body. And so what ends up happening is we just create an empty shell, right, Lacking the influence of negative uh, uh, issue or negative uh, dynamics, but it doesn't necessarily make us healthy to just abstain. 
As a matter of fact, if it does anything, it, ex it, it, it uh, uh, exaggerates the need for the positive, the need for the good, the need for the healthy, right? And, and listen, I, I want you to understand this. If we are not pursuing a deeper, more intimate, trying to maximize our relationship with God, the other becomes something that's practically impossible. Even though we attempt to do it, it is something that will never really uh, mature and, and materialize in our lives. The fact that if we don't pursue God and God's strength and God's wisdom and God's encouragement... The idea of being able to withdraw and to stand up against the negative dynamics, spiritually speaking, of our culture is an impossibility. Because, Carl, you don't have it in you, Jack, to stand up under all the weight. It ain't happening. We've all tried it. We've all, we've all basically subscribed to self-help type of promotions and whatnot. We've all went in pursuit of the better me. And it's always left us lacking. It's always left us coming up short because it isn't in you to create in your own person the best you. I'm going to surprise you with this. There is not a best you. That is what the scripture would teach. The scripture would teach there isn't a best you. You, apart from God, the scripture says we are born in iniquity and in sin. We are depraved from the moment we are born. And listen, if you don't believe that, go down to the daycare and watch that one-year-old, that two-year-old, and you begin to realize that one and two years old, these kids don't have to be taught this. They're selfish by design. Have you ever been around Joshua? Have you, have you ever been around Abigail? Listen, I was just down there this week. And there was Joshua with his nice little haircut, and he was being cool. He was just sitting there, minding his own business. And then the little chilly gangster, Abigail, walks up to him, reaches right up, snatches his stuff up, and just turns around, walks, walks away. She didn't have to be taught to be a gangster. It's in her to be a gangster. You know what I'm talking about? It's in all of us to be this, every one of us. It is absolutely essential that you and I not only disengage from the negative spiritual things, but we must engage in God. That is an absolute, absolute. And let, let me say this, and I know this to be true, okay? What the enemy likes to do, Craig, is he likes, he likes to use relief as a tool, a snaring tool. And this is how he does it. This is how he does it. And some of you are going to say, oh, been there, found that, experienced that. What the devil likes to do is he'll give you some relief. You know, when you start saying, I ain't going out with the boys. I'm not going out with the girls. I'm not doing this. I'm not going. All of a sudden, you'll get some relief. You know, the enemy will step back. Because what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to think the relief is built upon what? The removal of the negative. So he's going to step back and he's going to give you some relief. And you're going to think you're making real strides, right? You, you're really making up ground. 
And he's going to let you live in that relief for a period to where you recognize or at least identify the relief is connected to the non-negative things, the non-negative spiritual things. And he's going to prop you up on that, man. And what he's going to do is once you get in that and you get really relaxed because you don't have all this negative stuff and you've not yet engaged in the pursuit of God, once that sets in, man, he's going to come in there and he's going to deliver a blow to you, man, that's going to absolutely knock those straw legs out from underneath you that's been built on the abstinence principle. And many of you have experienced that. I've experienced that. And that's what the enemy will do. He will absolutely do that. As a matter of fact, if we read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 and 45, Jesus is dealing with this. And he's dealing with this on a line that's even heavier. He's dealing with it on a line uh, talking about impure spirits. Okay, so let me, let me just share this with you, what Jesus said. He said, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through the arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is what? Worse than the first, that is how it will be with this wicked generation. You know what I'm talking about? The whole idea, they were thinking their answer was deliverance from wicked spirits. And Jesus is saying, if you leave that house unoccupied, you will ultimately end up in a worse state than you began in. Because that thing that you had uh, uh, created abstinence from, will return and bring with it a hearty company, right? So the question for you and I today, as we even open this, is yes, we're away from this, but are we pursuing God? Honestly, honestly, honestly. I'll ask this, this is rhetorical, don't raise your hand. Don't jump up and respond. Many of you have read, many of you have seen uh, revival here, revival there, this, that, and another. Let me ask you this morning, how many people went to bed last night, answer to yourself, woke up this morning, and you said, I prayed for revival at the Driven Church? Ask yourself. Now answer yourself. I'm asking, are we pursuing God? Are we pursuing God? Do we have a hunger for God? Hey, I remember when I was a little boy, there, let me just say, there's a French proverb that says, uh, hunger accompanies a good meal. That's a little French proverb, all right? When I was a little boy, raised in a house of... A lot of brothers and sisters. We didn't have a whole lot, but my, my mom made it work, right? Uh, we were a, 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 a cornbread, right? Pinto beans, fried potatoes, right? We'd, we would go pinto beans, fried potatoes. Mom mixes it up. Next day, fried potatoes, pinto beans, right? That was the way it worked. Now, what would happen? What would happen? 
is there were days, Kevin, that I would become so famished, I would become, I would get out apart from my house and I would exhaust myself with, without a consideration of how I was going to get back to my house and I would be a great distance from my house. I had walked that great distance. So uh, guess what? We didn't have a car. We didn't have a vehicle. I'm walking back. No one, Dwayne ain't coming to pick me up in his Vega. He didn't have a box worth of gas, right? He's not picking me up. So I'd have to walk back. Now what would happen is I'd get so far, I'd get completely exhausted and I would be famished, Brooke. And by the time I got home, I'm telling you, I could be blocks away. And I thought, and I think it was probably just this perception in my mind and in my heart. I knew what mom probably had prepared. And I could almost smell those pinto beans. I, that cast iron, I could smell that cast iron skillet, that, corn, that cornbread, those fry. I could smell it. And then as I got closer to that house, man, my appetite ever increased to the point, my lips, my mouth, my tongue, I mean, I was salivating everywhere. I was starving. And I'd walk in the house, and there would be a touch of pickle relish, and I would devour that. And there were days that I would come in, and I would have eaten the same pinto beans and the same cornbread I had eaten a thousand other times, but because my hunger was great, that day it tasted even better. And it was cooked the exact same way. And I would say to my mom, Mom, your pinto beans, your potatoes, your cornbread today was dynamic. Now, that wasn't the words I used, but I would express the best. And she would say something along the lines, well, it was the same. And I realized what the difference was. The difference was my hunger. The difference was my hunger. The difference is I had come home hungry. And there were other days, man, where the exhaustion and the hunger wasn't there. And she would lay before me the same pitone beans, the same cornbread, the same fried potatoes, and I would look at that meal prepared before me, and I would say, is that what we're having again? Carrie and the worship team can sing the best songs you'll ever hear. Someone will preach the best message you've ever heard. And you'll leave this place saying, is that all we've got? Because you didn't come in hungry. You've been eating on so many other things that your appetite has been compromised and you come into a place like this and nothing looks appealing. The Word of God doesn't look appealing. Worship doesn't look appealing. Sacrifice doesn't look appealing. Revival doesn't look appealing. Praying don't look appealing. Pursuing God doesn't look appealing because we're not hungry. And then there's a little guy in the back who leaves the service and he comes up and he says, that worship was incredible and fed my soul. The preaching of the word strengthened me. I felt the presence of Almighty God at 100 hops and ways this morning. And I say to that gentleman leaving the church, he came hungry. Right? He came hungry for God, pursuing God. 
I can lay before you the best of all banquets, spiritually speaking, with the greatest of efforts that I could come up with and those who help lead here come up with. But if you don't have an appetite to consume it, it'll be nothing but wasted bread to no avail. You'll leave still malnourished because you've been feeding on junk food, spiritually speaking, right? People tell me all the time, and moms here who do the most of the grocery shopping will concur with this. They'll say stuff like this. Don't ever go shopping, grocery shopping hungry. Why? Because you'll come home with little Debbies. You'll come home with Swiss cake rolls, star crunches, oatmeal cakes, donuts. No one goes to the grocery store who is starving and famished and says, let me go to the healthy choice aisle. Everything in you draws you to the cookie area. The bread. And I say to you, when you're spiritually hungry, why are you shopping elsewhere? And I ain't talking about other churches. I'm talking about other sources. Why have you abandoned God, the supplier of the very nutrition that your body, your soul, your essence needs? And you're shopping at a bitten dent. Food expired. And you're wondering, you ask yourself, why do I feel so weak? Why do I have so little strength? Why can I not overcome the things that entrap me so easily? Because you're spiritually emaciated. You're malnourished, you're withering away. And you're trying to overcome all these obstacles in your own strength. Because you're just looking to get away from that stuff and not pursuing God. See, you tracking with me this morning? Because if you ain't, I ain't going any further. I'll sit and I'll preach on this for 30 more minutes. And then I'll get to point two. In Genesis, right? Isn't that what the serpent did to Eve? Got her concentrating on the not-to-do things. Isn't that what he said? That is what he said. Matter of fact, verse 1, he says this, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know what she should have said? Matt, that's what she should have said. I will pursue God, the one who's, who has my care in his heart. But instead, she began to focus on what she wasn't supposed to do. And we know where that led. I'm telling you, abstaining from the things that you're not supposed to do isn't going to be enough. I promise you, it isn't going to be enough. And I don't want you getting there. I don't want you getting there in my care. I want to at least tell you. I want the charge off me. I want you to know.
And then he says this. He says, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I have commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. That was actually on the 14th of the month of Aviv, which would be, it's third, the first month of the Jewish calendar. It would be March, April, right? For in the month, listen to this, do this for in that month. Why that month? That was the month you came out of Egypt. I've said this. Numerous times have we done this study, even through Genesis, even through Exodus. God has said to us so many times, Jeff, don't forget. Remember. Remember. Now this celebration of the festival of unleavened bread would later become known as what to us? Passover. That's what this says. And this is what he said about that. He said, for seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Pursuing God isn't always going to be convenient to your schedule. Did y'all get that in there? He says right here, I mean, I want you to do this. This is what you're to do. I want you to remember. And in so doing, it's going to interrupt your schedule. You mean I got to get up early to get in God's word? I got to get up early. I got to stay up later. I've got to find some time through my hectic, busy schedule to pray. I got to push away some of these things just so I can engage in pursuing God. You mean to tell me, Trent, this thing isn't easy? It's going to cost me something following Jesus, drawing close to God. That's going to cost me something. You mean to tell me I got to have skin in the game? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you. In the pursuit of God, we've all lost some skin. We've all paid a price. We've all had to make sacrifices. We've all had to give up things. We've all had to rearrange things. We've all had to push things back. Daniel, just so we could pursue him. You know why? Because we only have two hands and we can only hold so much. We can't fill our hands with everything else and at the same time fill our hands with God. At some point, man, we've got to empty them and then open them. See? Let's, let's just move on. I'm sorry. And then this is what he says right here. <clears throat> you have the unleavened bread, right? And then he goes on. And he says this at the bottom here. And you're going to get this, right? He says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. Do you see that? I'm going to tell you what that's not saying. What that's not implying. It's not implying that God's about fleecing you. That's not what God's saying. I need your money. Man, 
Come on. You think that's what it's about? Come on. Come on. He's literally saying to these people, his sons, his children, no man is to appear before me empty-handed. You know what the crazy thing about that is? He's the one that filled their empty hands. Do you remember what it said in Exodus chapter 3? Do you remember what he told Moses? This is what he said. I will make and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, my people, so that when you leave, you will not go out empty-handed. Right? You, you think he's asking for your stuff? From the very beginning of God's love affair with these people, he has been the filler of their empty hands. And to ask of them to give back to him was simply saying to them, as I fill your hands, what? Out of a heart of appreciation, respond to my goodness. I remember as a little boy, we had gone out to Lincoln Plaza, Lincoln Plaza over at Hodgeville. It was a, it was a, it was a mecca of shopping as a little kid. We had Houchins. We had the laundromat at the corner. We had the dollar store. And we had Ben Franklin. I remember one time, it was around Christmas time. We were at the dollar store doing Christmas shopping. I kid you not. And the reason we were doing Christmas shopping at the dollar store, you know, you know the drill at school, right? You, you draw names. You know what I'm talking about? You draw names, you buy a gift for whoever. You know what I'm talking about. I want to tell you what's really fun. I want to jump over this. Let me just tell this. Uh, I drew this kid's name. I can't even remember his name. But the guy that drew my name was the uh, bank president's son. <laughs> my favorite guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I had the favorite of God even when I was a little kid. Right? The bank president's son drew my name. So I'm at the dollar store buying this kid a gift. Bank president's probably over at Ben Franklin buying mine. All right? And I remember picking up a little something-something. And I, I remember saying to my mom, now li listen how idiotic this is. I, I said, Mom, do you got a couple of dollars? And listen, we didn't have a couple of dollars, Dwayne. And she said, yeah. What do you need a couple of dollars for? I said, I want to buy you a Christmas present. Now, I want you to listen to the 
the irony in that, the ridiculousness of that. I said, you got a couple of dollars, Mom? I want to buy you something. I want to buy you something with your money. And she gave me a couple of dollars, Joy. And I remember, you know what I bought her? I bought something that she needed. I bought her an ashtray. Hey, my mom would drop a pell-mell on you in a heartbeat. <laughs> She'd spank you while hitting that non-filter pell-mell. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. The red pack. Come on, Fitzy. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, take three, three one-inch pell-mells, break them bad boys apart, and roll up a whole cigarette. That ashtray was valuable. That's where all the assets gathered. When things got tough, man, you just pulled out those one-inch pieces. And you can make your cigarette or two. And I remember I went up there and I was trying to be covert. I had the two dollars. I went up and I slapped that ashtray, but I got a nice ashtray. The square had four little slots, put four cigarettes in there. I mean, it was like a party tray. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's smoking. Yeah, you got your own spot. And I remember setting that bad boy up there and I dropped those two bucks up there. I mean, you would hear them snap like a whip. And I don't know if I got any change back or not. And I wrapped them up in that yellow, that yellow bag from Dollar Store. They've been around 100 years. And I remember I took it home and I, I wrapped that thing in some Christmas paper. You know what? I, I don't know. I, I used about four spools of scotch tape. I had that thing rolled up. It was going to take a Herculean effort to open that ashtray. And I remember Christmas rolled around. Man, I was so proud. I grabbed that ashtray. Merry Christmas, Mom. <laughs> Thank you, Trent. You heathen, you know. She opened it up. She said, oh, an ashtray. And I was sitting back and I say, Mom, I love you enough for an ashtray. That ashtray represents my love for you. I love your ashtray much. Right? And she took it and acted as surprised. She had bought the ashtray. You get this, right? You see the connection, right? You see the ridiculousness in that? And that I would give her a gift that she paid for that she had given me? I had given her back what she had filled my own hands with? And so when God says to his sons, his children, don't uh, appear before me empty-handed, you know what he was really saying? Was bring me the ashtrays that I paid for. With my own money, my own love, my own goodness. And let me delight in your willingness to be obedient and give back to me. It isn't that I need that. It's I want that of you. I want you to experience the reciprocating love of myself for you and you for me. I want you to know that, right? I don't know, maybe the rest of that day at Christmas, right? Man, I, I feel pretty good. Every person that come to the house that you know, popped that Marlboro or that pale and fired that bad boy up, man, I sit back with a, with a sense of glee and bask in the glory of the ashtray, the sacred place on the table. 
that really didn't cost me anything. And so God fills our hands, Penny, and he says to us, don't come to me with nothing that I've given you. And you know what he says? He doesn't say how much. Maybe an ashtray, Craig, would have been enough. I don't know. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in the field. The festival of harvest, you know, it's what, what's, what's called, and I hate to drop some of this on you, but I got to, okay? So the Feast of Weeks, right? And what, what this was about, uh, th- this actually is a celebration really of the giving of the Torah or the giving of the law, right? And uh, because what, what uh, uh, God was doing during this time was the law was being given. And you know when it was given? It was given about 50 days into this deliverance. That's the reason the feast, festival of the harvest, the one that, the, what we call the Feast of Weeks, was actually what the disciples and the followers of Jesus were celebrating in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, when the 120 were gathered in the upper room. Remember, it's 50 days removed from the deliverance. It's 50 days removed from the seventh Sabbath. It's what you and I would call in the Greek, Pentecost, right? Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. And what it was meant to do, what it was meant to represent was the writing of the law of God on the stone tablets and what it ends up developing into is the writing of God, of the laws of God unto the hearts of men which took place in Jerusalem on Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest in the upper room with 120 people who were pursuing God. Right? 3,000 were added that day. Remember, it's called the Feast of Harvest. Okay, let's... Okay. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow. In your field, celebrate the festival of ingathering, the end of the year when, you're gathering, when you gather in your crops from the field. What he was basically saying was, man, you got this festival of unleavened bread, the Passover, then you've got basically Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the, the Feast of Harvest, and then come together at the, and celebrate at the festival of ingathering. Man, when you've got all this coming back in, and this would happen around October, right? This is kind of what we would refer to kind of in a, in a sense of Thanksgiving. Really? Man, come in and celebrate my abundance, my giving, my provision. And then in Exodus chapter 23, verse 17, he says this. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Y'all get that? Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Now, when you and I read that, what rhetorical, what are you thinking when you read that? There's a mandate, isn't there? You can read that where God is saying, hey, this, is, this absolutely needs to happen. It doesn't need to happen, it has to happen. Right? You see that, right? There's a mandate. We, I read that. I read that and I say, yeah, there's a mandate. 
God is saying right here what? Three times a year, some of the men are to appear before the sovereign. It doesn't say some of the men, does it? It says all the men are to appear. So there is a mandate for the men to appear, right? But there's something besides a mandate. Do you see the heart of God being extended to the least of the men of Israel? Can you see when God says all the men to balance what God knows lives in the hearts of men? And that is this hierarchy, this pecking order, this oppression. They were born in oppression. It's seated in them. And God says all the men, whether they have much or whether they have little, he literally establishes in this statement a clause to protect every man in Israel with the right to come to him equally, equally as much as anyone else in Israel. He says, let the Billy Grahams come and let the Trent Evans come too. Let the king come. But let the pauper come too. Do you not see that? <laughs> Do you not see the protection of God and how he's covering over the oppressed and the downtrodden, how he's covering over the least of these men? He makes it a mandate and then he makes it possible for every one of them, for the Mike Denzicks and the Trents and the Dennis Hensleys and the Ricky Laws and the Gabe Brangers, the Ben Ashlocks, the Danny Flanders, the Jeremiah Nordikes. He's made provision for us all. We're all covered, Josh. Josh, yeah, we're covered. You're covered. The back row, Josh, yeah, is covered. An allowance has been made to cover them all. I read it. It just explodes in my spirit. The truth of this, it's a two-fold concept, probably layered multiple times, but we brush through it and we see God as this hard, demanding God when written in his word is a provision, a coverage of grace and mercy and protection. Hmm. Let's close. We're going to get down to the young goat. Let's get to the goat. Let's read this, and you guys can study this on your own. We're going to get to the GOAT. And this ain't a debate about Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. If you wonder about that, we can talk about this after the service. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord your God. You know what he's saying. Man, don't. You know who provided the first fruits? You get that, right? Okay. And then he says this, Ronnie. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And you're dismissed. I ain't even going to elaborate on that. 
Oh, switch and bait on you. Right? Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay. Historically speaking, these were ritual practices amongst the pagans. Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites. Part of a ritual. We got that, right? We, he's leading them into a land. He said, don't, don't be, don't do, don't. This is all predicated on first pursuing me. He said, don't, don't let yourself be involved in that, in the pursuit of me. Don't, don't get caught up in this. But what is the application for you? And I don't know too many people around here bowling baby goats in their mother's milk. I don't know that we leave church and go to goat farms and intercede from these tyrannical goat farmers. I don't, I don't think that's the application. But there is an application. And I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. The milk from the mother, as all you mothers know, was meant for what? Nourishment. Life. And what God was recognizing in some of these other activities, he being the creator of the goat, he being the creator of the milk, the very thing that he had given to bring life and nourishment was being what? Wielded for death and destruction. The very thing he had designed to bring life was now being used to bring death. And he was saying to his children, don't mix things up. Don't get things twisted. Don't get things inverted. Don't turn things upside down. And the reality is that's exactly who we can be when we don't pursue God did us. That's exactly who we can be. We can take the things that God has given us, the blessings, the tools of life and nourishment, and we can weaponize them against ourselves and against other people. Our relationships that God has blessed us with. We allow them to become jaded, distorted. And those relationships become weaponized against us. The thing that God has given us to bring life into our, 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 our existence, we destroy. We destroy our marriages, our husbands, our wives. The very thing that God has given us to bring us life and fullness. We deliver blow after blow against the very help God's given us in these people. And we end up bullying baby goats in our mother's milk, in our relationship, not just in our finances, 
God says to them, I'll fill your hands, but come to me, not empty-handed. Do you know why? Because we would do this, and our finances and our resources would become a God. The very thing he's blessed us with. Now we, we, we cling to it. We protect it. We guard it like an idol. And God says to us, give a part of that back to me so that the grip of that very resource would be broken over you, the stronghold. I don't want your resources to become a warring God with me. So in our giving, it's breaking the shackles off of us so that we don't become... Go bowlers with our finances. Do you see that? God blesses me with $500. And he says to me, bring the first fruits of that. Pay a tithe on that. And I don't want to get into my, I'm just drawing an analogy. Give an offering from that. And I say, but God, I need it. And God says, do you not know I provided it? And if you need it, I'll provide it again. And all of a sudden, we look at God and we're like this. We become the Bilbo Bagginses, right? With the ring of power. And it becomes our precious. And it destroys us. And we're goat boilers. But it's not just that. It's the gifts and the talents God gives us. God has talent. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. And he has blessed you to do things. And you've taken those things. And God has allowed you to do great things with those. To bring a, a, a living to your household. And some of those same skills and same talents and same gifts, God is saying to you, utilize that within the kingdom. Use that to build the kingdom. And we're saying, God, I don't have time to share this gift with you. I don't have, and all of a sudden, to protect the gift and the talent, we withdraw from God who is asking us for it. And the distance is created. And so we begin to bull our gifts and our talents. Craig, you tracking with me, brother? You tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying, brother? Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Stand with me. Stand with me. I'm just going to ask Carrie to come for a moment. I need not elaborate any longer. Our unwillingness to pursue God allows the very things he's blessed us with to become a curse. Oh, that we might say prayerfully, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, that we might say this morning, Oh God, everything I've got, everything I am, everything you've given me, oh God, I grant you full access to it all that I would not withhold anything from you, but I would pursue you with every part of my being and my fiber. I want you, God, above everything. I want you more 
than the things you've given me. I want you more than the talents and the gifts. I want you more than the relationships. I want you more than my money, my finances, my position, my... Could that be your prayer this morning? In a pursuit of God, only you know what that prayer entails. Could that be your prayer this morning? I want you more than. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to give you a moment, a moment to respond to God in your own hearts, whether it be at an altar, whether it be at a seat that you find yourself sitting in or standing at. What I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. Enter into that prayer closet where no one can see you nor can you see anyone else. And ask yourself this morning, ask yourself this morning, am I really pursuing God Am I really hungering and thirsting for God? You respond to him this morning. If in your spirit, in your heart, you know God is calling you, God is speaking to you, you don't have to respond to Trent or the song Carrie's singing. But you do need to respond to the pull of God in your heart. Brother, sister, you know. You know. So this moment is yours. This moment is yours this morning. In the name of Jesus, you respond. Amen.